0: Early bird tickets to the How to Triple Your Profit, the 2Y3X methodology are now on sale. This is an exceptionally practical training event for owners, leaders and directors of companies with 20 to 60 employees with world class speakers and me. I'll be speaking, but don't let that put you off. The other speakers will more than make up for it. This is a practical training event which focuses on the 2Y3X methodology for planning and delivering very fast growth to double or triple your revenue whilst maximizing your profits. You will learn about market-leading sales methodologies, how to develop an ambitious yet achievable strategic plan, and how to use the 2Y3X tools to triple your revenue. To get your tickets, go to 2Y3X.com slash event. The link is also in the description, that's 2y3x.com slash event. My extra special guest this week is Andrew Nicholson. He is the co-founder and CEO of Coolia.ma, an award-winning marketing automation platform that is just skyrocketing right now and taking significant market share from the likes of HubSpot and Marketo. They won the Emerging Vendor of the Year Award at the B2B Marketing Awards. And if you are remotely interested in anything to do with SaaS, marketing automation, behavioral economics, then this is the podcast for you. We, we open the kimono on marketing automation and the crime of expensive enterprise level automation platforms that businesses buy only to use them as glorified email marketing tools, You know who you are, marketers out there. The Mad Men era of the 50s and 60s produced some of the best marketing still probably to this day because they understood the psychology behind marketing. And Andrew says that in recent years, we've actually forgotten the reasons why people do what they do. And as a result, our campaigns that we deliver for our clients are not as impactful he started using the ideas in behavioral economics way before Thinking Fast and Slow became popular. He just loved the work of Kahneman, Thaler and Tversky and he started testing their ideas on campaigns, on product launches for Sedexo in 2005. I've had the pleasure of meeting Andrew and have had several Skype calls with him and we hit it off straight away. I could have spoken to him for hours full transparency he is a sponsor of the show but his story is just so fascinating and his insights are so revealing that we just had to have him on the show I think you'll find this absolutely fascinating so without me keeping you in suspense any further my conversation with Andrew Nicholson Andrew Nicholson is the proud owner of a B2B Marketer of the Year Award and has used this accolade to promote a digital agenda to marketing professionals throughout the industry. He is a passionate advocate of the new discipline of digital psychology and has completed a master's in the subject, drawing on heuristic theories from the fields of behavioral economics and psychology and applying them to contemporary digital marketing challenges to drive online behavior change. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Andrew Nicholson, welcome to Agency Deal Masters.
1: Thank you, Nathan. Good morning, and congratulations on such an effortlessly seamless introduction.
0: Thank you, thank you. I've been trying. Your uh, <laughs> your episode number forty now, so like I've been doing this for a while, so you'd think I'd, I'd be I'd be pretty good at it now.
1: Uh, you're you're smooth as they come (laughs) and you're you're clearly a natural at
0: this thank you i'll pay you later um but let's start at the beginning of of your of your career because you've got a fascinating background you you studied country planning and environmental policy at university what did you think you were going to do with that degree at the time
1: Oh, God, Nathan, I had no idea. Um, I had I just got back from uh, a year away in Africa, uh, and I was doing lo- lots of environmental work out there. I was in the uh, Tanzanian dry forests, uh, cataloguing wildlife. And I just, I just got back and I wanted to do something to change the world and make it a better place. Uh, and it looked like at that time countryside planning environmental policy was a place where I could make a bit of a difference so that's where I stepped into that particular role. I very quickly uh, came to the conclusion that I did not want to be a countryside or town planner in right. any way shape or form right. um, but you know you learn these lessons. Like, <laughs> <you>.
0: <laughs> sure no definitely you spent a year in Tanzania as you said what was that experience like?
1: it was amazing i you know it's, it's a bit of a cliche isn't it a student finishes his a levels mm. and does a gap year um, mm. in africa or somewhere like that but it was a fantastic experience mm. uh went out with a team so learned great teamwork learned how to use people's strengths um learned how to actually probably make the most out of life i had i think in counting back about four near-death experiences once oh i was god. out there really oh god yes tell me one uh, okay um Middle of the rainforest, coastal dry forest. Um, jumped down from a dry riverbed. Uh, landed about two feet away from a forest cobra that reared nice. up in front of me. Nice. Uh, I did a quick mental calculation in my head. Uh, if you get bit by one of these things, you're dead within two hours. Oh, nearest hospital serious. is three hours away. Ooh.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. So what did you do? How did you, you just jump back? or?
1: I did not make eye contact. I very slowly... We walked backwards oh and fortunately, the snake had better things to do that day. and walked away. Well, walked terrifying. away, slipped away. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. I tell you what. It wasn't a scary experience at the time, but looking yeah. back on it, yeah, it should have been. I'm sure
0: it should have been. I guess you're yeah. too panicked to do I, it I, to I, I'm, really I'm, I'm think about smiling. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just too dumb. <laughs> really interesting no those those gap years really make you i I spent a year out in china after university as well and it really is the making of you 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 have some amazing experiences you meet some amazing people um i recommend everyone should do that after university definitely it
1: should be compulsory shouldn't it Mm -hmm. you know if if you're going to go to university you need to go and do something of value first uh because university is a huge opportunity so you know give it a little bit back before you go off to university before you take take hold of that opportunity uh, absolutely let's, let's let's put that in our manifesto Nathan. <laughs> manifesto our, for those to... little, um, Nathan and I are starting a political movement today
0: <laughs> that's the first <laughs> I'm aware yeah, of it he's
1: always talk, talking about politics yes. already <laughs> you promised you wouldn't Andrew
0: <laughs> I know today is a pivotal day we will come back to the political discussion a little, a little bit later uh, I, I know you want, I know you're Bursting to talk about it right now. But um, but but let's talk about your career. So you come back to the UK and then you start working with Sedexo. Just huge. How did that come about?
1: Well, uh, not quite. So no? I, I got back to the UK and I, uh, I went up to London and I started working for a year in hospitality. So I, I took on a kind of interim role as a front of house manager and marketing manager at a hotel in Richmond, which actually... I also recommend anyone anyone that wants to form their own business, get into hospitality because hospitality teaches you about building relationships and customer experience and and all, all those good mm. things and, and how to really support your customers. So I, I think mm. that was important as well. But then then I moved uh, over to Sedexo. Now, you know, you mentioned Sedexo. It's a big, big company. It's, it's probably one of the biggest companies that people have never heard of. Sure. It it sits behind so many brands. We we ran all the hospitality at the Olympics. Um, We we looked after Royal Ascot. Um, We, 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 Blenheim Palace, we were looking after at the time. Uh, So is everywhere. I think at the time we had eight hundred thousand employees, and I'm sure it's got bigger since then.
0: It is bigger, yeah.
1: So fantastic company. Uh, Really socially responsible company as well. Mm. Uh, I have to say, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit cynical about some uh, corporate social uh, uh, responsibilities and and,
0: uh, with good good,
1: reason, with good reason. Yeah. You know, quite often it's a PR stunt, but Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, Nexo really do take their social and environmental uh, responsibilities seriously. Mm. Um, And and that impressed me Hmm. immensely
0: really really interesting so then there you began learning about behavioral economics or at least implementing what you were learning in behavioral economics in your role how how were you able to use behavioral economics at Sodexo
1: uh well again I I was very lucky with Sodexo in that they sponsored my master's so my master's in digital marketing communications um now that was with e consultancy and Manchester Met. So the e consultancy part was okay. We'll we'll get very hands on with this, and actually with the Manchester Met as well. So it wasn't just theoretical learning; it was very much how can you take these lessons and apply them to real world business scenarios. And again, I was very lucky in that scenario that Sodexo supported me and they allowed me to use them really as a test bed hmm. for all these experiments and hypotheses that I came up with. Hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned there that I, I, was, I kind of focused my masters on behavioral economics, and and very much so. I almost subverted it because uh, I was I was getting very much into my Tversky Academy and Kadaman, my Dan Ariely mm-hmm, at that time. Mm-hmm. Great books, great authors, mm-hmm. uh, great academics, um, and I was seeing that a lot of the behavioral economic theory could very much be translated into what we were doing over at Sodexo. So, um, I. I give you an example. So yeah, you were anchoring, anchoring heuristic?
0: Yeah. So that's where you give someone a higher price, for instance, if you're selling them something, but you don't really want to sell them it at that price, but you anchor them at that price and then you give them the real price that you want to give them and then they feel as though, oh, because this price is so much cheaper, that's the price that I'll go for, but that's the price you wanted to sell them at anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, you... you you work down from the anchor when you're coming to the final price, rather than up from where you were originally. Right. Um, and it, it doesn't even need to be a pricing anchor. You know, I I've got a theory that telephone numbers uh, placed prominently on a website, for example, will affect the spend of that individual. You know, if you've got a telephone number with lots of nines in it, you're going to spend more than a telephone number with lots of ones in it, for example. Really, is you're, you're anchoring yourself on those higher numbers.
0: Really interesting
1: we we did an experiment over at bateau london which is thames cruises and we introduced a decoy product uh, and you know it's very mm. high end sitting at the front of the boat drinking champagne a- absolutely phenomenal package mm. not actually expecting anyone to buy that particular package mm. um because you know there was only three available on each boat <laughs> boat trip um, and it was you know, a very high priced. but we were able to get spend up on all the other dinner packages because mm. cruise by 11%. But hmm. even more interestingly, we're actually able to increase average spend per transaction on tea and lunch cruises, which are completely unrelated. <laughs> but, you know, that, that was the, that, that was right. the, the coach. So
0: parties. interesting.
1: We increased their spend by 26% just by introducing this decoy package and wow. another on another package model.
0: How much was the decoy?
1: Uh, going back, it was, well, I think it was 199 pounds per person. Okay.
0: So that was the anchor.
1: That, that was the anchor, and your average lunch cruise, I think back in those days was twenty thirty pounds. Right. So,
0: <laughs> Completely
1: opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum, but it it was just about being exposed to the anchor product product uh, during the buying cycle.
0: So, what else from behavioural economics did you introduce to Sedexer?
1: Oh, well, we, we kind of. Uh, I remember it's sensitive. Around, you can't talk about you know, it. No, I was thinking, what can I what can I discuss? <laughs>
0: I had a you sneaky. So you're responsible for us spending all this extra money in Sodexo and other places. It's people like you, Andrew. It's people like you. Those
1: it's, it's evil marketers behind this. That's evil marketers. But oh. it's
0: but it's within us. Like, you know, there are these things they work and we don't know why they work, but they're fundamentally ingrained in our okay. being.
1: This is exactly the point. We don't know why they work, but we can do if we just spend a little bit of time researching and reading, you know, educating ourselves. One, one of my biggest bugbears about marketing is we do things because that's the way they've always been done mm-hmm. you know, without understanding why they work. Mm. So, you know, when, when back in the days of Mad Men and you know, 1950s, 1960s, they actually, you know, they built their marketing strategies based on the psychology and then we spent the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years forgetting the psychology yeah. and just just doing the doing same the repurposing. Yes. Not understanding. Um, okay, why do we advertise? What, what what's the point of advert? What are we uh, well, you to know, get, get some right. old brand. But no, 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 yeah. no. It's the availability heuristic. It's the reinforcement. You know, if you can remember something, you give it more importance in your brain. You denote it more importance. You denote it more significance because it's easier to recall. So that's why we advertise. Fundamentals like that have been forgotten.
0: But you know, it's fascinating. People like um, influence, uh, Chialdini, He's been, he's been in the field for years and he says car salesmen and advertisers have been doing this stuff for years without knowing the science behind it, but they yeah. know how to get people to buy, how, why people do what they do on a, on a fundamental sort of gut level. It's, it's car it's, salesmen it's, know how to do that.
1: Yeah. 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 Good ones do. Uh, I, I and, and hold my like hand that. up. Yeah. And I will say that before I read these books and did this research and did my masters, I I was doing some of the things right, you know, and I was doing it instinctively, you know, because if you understand people, you can generally understand what triggers um, they respond to. But what's really interesting is quite often they will respond in an entirely unpredictable way. Um, So, you know, you have to experiment, you have to test or you have to do the research yourself.
0: Yeah, really interesting. So at Sedexo, you implemented marketing automation, and I guess that was the beginnings of the sort of start of Coolia or the idea for Coolia or, or products like that. Tell us the story of how Coolia came to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I implemented, you know, mentioned that Sedexo is a big company. Um, so we Im- implemented a enterprise level marketing automation solution. I won't say which one it was, but suffice to say it was a ball egg. Uh, mm. no, it was technically very, very hard cool. to implement. <laughs> not mention it. Wasn't, it wasn't. I'm not going to turn any names. Stop it. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
1: But yeah, but almost what you just mentioned they they all suffer from exactly the same problem they they are big enterprise level solutions they're technically challenging they are not intuitive at all Um, they're very expensive and what tends to happen is you use quite a lot of the core functionality the basic functionality um, and you leave you know all the exciting sexy stuff up on the shelf because it's too complicated to use so I I know so many companies that are paying a fortune for something like Eloqua and then just using it to send out emails. Mm. And it, it's such a shame, but it's it's not the marketer's fault. No, it's not. Um, and it's you know the issues we had with Sodexo a, a staff an employee moved. We had to do a big old training regime, bring in third party consultants, CRM integrations. That took. <sighs>
0: it's just years. it's a, such a waste, and it's a glorified email solution. It's just yeah, know, the biggest. But Andrew, I, I totally get your point, and I totally get why coolier exists in in that world but is there an argument to say going back to our conversation about behavioral economics that all those bells and whistles that they added on that they've added on to their products actually do some does something to increase the perceived value of it even though we don't use those other things have they done that intentionally knowing that marketers won't actually use these other things but by having them there it makes them look clever it makes them look smart it makes them look I don't know, insert your, <laughs> you know, your word there. But, you know, is there any truth to that? What do you think?
1: Um, I, I will defend
0: marketing.
1: <laughs> I, I will say, you know what? Marketers are generally quite good at knowing what they need because mm. quite often they're the end user.
0: Mm.
1: Where we tend to get problems is when you get somewhat like procurement department getting involved mm. and then it becomes a box ticking exercise. Uh, and it's mm. like, well, do you do X, Y, Z? Well, we're never going to use that. Like, but, but do you do mm. it just in case? Mm. Um, and then, it, you know, that is one of the reasons mm. why the, these kind of these single stack solutions, um, Marketos, the eloquence of this world. Um, mm. They have been introducing lots more functionality, but that's also there to justify the high price points. Mm. You know, you you need to have something to differentiate yourself in the marketplace if you're going to be charging ten times more than your nearest competitor. Mm. So it's it, it's a fallacy it's a fallacy that you know that these solutions offer value for money, but if you're not using nine tenths of that functionality,
0: now. So so for, what was the so, uh, go, sorry? So what was the problem you were trying to solve with Coolia?
1: Um. So we were trying to, uh, we're trying to, we we succeeded, um, build a marketing automation platform that was intuitive, easy to use, and affordable. Um, Essentially the opposite of what was on the marketplace at that Mm -hmm. moment. I, I was doing a, a lot of round tables. Uh, I, was, I was doing some consultancy at that time and I was consulting about marketing automation. And we were hearing the big boys, the, like I say, the eloquence, the marketos, getting up uh, on stages and talking about their implementations and getting their clients. And the clients would be saying, Yeah, yeah, we've generated millions more sales. But really, between the lines is yeah. But we spent hundreds of thousands of pounds getting it up there, mm. and it took us six months. Mm. Um, and I was sitting there with kind of the SMEs uh, talking, and you know, even fairly substantial mid-sized companies, and they just didn't have the resources, they didn't have the time or the experience to implement these solutions, even though the wins were so clear. Mm. Um, so that was really the the driver behind Coolia. How can we take marketing automation and? marketing automation is inherently very complicated mm-hmm. but how do we make it so it's not so for the user
0: really interesting so after you had that initial idea what was what was the next step how did you what was the first year like what what was the next things that you do did to start setting up and growing the company
1: oh god so the first year was tough uh first three years were tough you know it's this is year four now this, this is we're in year five
0: now. now. in year five, okay.
1: Just just in year five, mm-hmm. or we'll be in about a month's time. Um, yeah, so the first three years were development, fundraising, investment. Mm. Uh, and if someone were to come to me today and say, Andrew, uh, I, I want to build a marketing automation solution, mm. uh, I, I would I, I would probably walk them. there. <laughs> person He'd be crazy. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do Come it. to your
0: senses. <laughs>
1: and, and to be fair, yeah. when I said that five years ago, people go, "Andrew, don't do it, mate. Don't do it."
0: You're <laughs> really? Against,
1: you're going up against. You're like, "No, ah,
0: it's fine." <laughs>
1: what are you doing you're crazy um, and you know what they were right <laughs> But it's hard. We, we persevered um, yeah. and and we got there um, and we we built a marketing automation the, the thing about marketing automation is there's so many moving parts mm. beneath the scenes you know so many disparate bits mm. of technology all having to work you know perfectly seamlessly together mm. it's not just an email marketing automation no. It's, it's not just a landing page builder. It's not just lead scoring. There's so many solutions out there that offer one thing well. Um, and in marketing automation, you've got to bring them all in-house and, work, um, and connect them all uh, behind the scenes. Uh,
0: so how long did it take you to get a, a product that you were happy with?
1: I'm never going to be happy.
0: (laughs) That's a good point, right? Always being beta. That's Apple's uh, approach.
1: absolutely. Our customers are happy. Yeah. Uh, That's the most important thing. I'm never going to be happy. (laughs) You know, just just this week, next week, we're we're launching a whole new uh, plethora of landing page features. Um, Two weeks ago, we launched our new Perl, our personalized URL, so offline integration capabilities. Um, There's always always room for improvement uh so Coo- coolie will never be finished i will never be fully satisfied uh but that's good mm-hmm. i think
0: so five years into the journey um what do you worry about now obviously the hard part is over right and now it's just plain sailing wait for the cash to rolling easy oh, yeah. easy street
1: uh, yeah so it's a doddle i mean no. i, I, I I rarely wake up before lunchtime. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is an exception today with the podcast, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So. I got
1: up early. No, it's, you know, I, I think you're, you're a fellow founder and business owner, Nathan, you know, it never gets easy. There's always new challenges, new hurdles. Um, my biggest fear, I think, is probably... That someone like Mailchimp will get that act together and start doing marketing automation right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a massive fan of Mailchimp's email marketing capabilities. Mm-hmm. I think they're very amazing. They they took they, they did for email marketing what we've done for marketing automation. Yeah. They took email marketing and made it accessible, cool.
0: sexy, just it's amazing. Sexy. Yeah,
1: yeah. So mm-hmm. they did all these things right, um, and they, they are desperately trying to get into marketing automation now. They haven't nailed it. Where marketing automation is really—it's—it's rules-based. It's very basic. It's—it's um, it's nowhere near a fully fledged marketing automation solution. Mm. But I do lie in bed at night thinking, well, they're probably working on this behind the scenes, mm. uh, and in six months, twelve months time, they're going to release something that can compete. Uh, and they're going to do for marketing automation what they've done for email marketing. We shall see. I, you know, maybe we'll have a conversation with Mailchimp at some point.
0: <laughs> Quite. <laughs> um, Hmm.
1: Probably be easier for
0: them. Quite fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about HubSpot, uh, because it seemed as though in the early days of the company, they were squarely focused on agencies for their acquisition model, uh, helping agencies grow, driving revenue for agencies. I worked for a B2B tech agency a few years ago, and they were all over us, and it it seemed to be. But it seems as though their focus isn't there so much these days. Discuss.
1: Discuss, but just put it out there, Nathan. Um, yes. Yeah, so okay, we we speak to a lot of agencies, and I think the reality is that they're not really feeling the HubSpot love as much as they used to these days. So you know, you, guys, you speak to a lot of agencies too, Nathan. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on this. Um, now, HubSpot have been looking at. Marketo and Eloqua, and they, you know, Marketo in, in particular has been doing phenomenally well in the enterprise space, mm-hmm. uh, just being acquired by Adobe. Um, and and I, I think they've got their eye on that, uh, that marketplace. Uh, so I, I think they're viewing as a strategic shift away from agencies um, towards enterprise level because, let's be honest, there's probably more money for them in mm-hmm. that space. Um, now, that's, that's fun by us. Because we we are absolutely giving the agencies the love, Uh, and I think we have a a solution that gives agencies everything they need and quite a bit more besides. I might add. but with far higher profit margins mm. than something like HubSpot, because let's be honest, HubSpot is getting very, very expensive these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Every year they're hiking up the prices, every year they're modulizing the functionality. So if you actually want a, a consistent experience across all your different HubSpot modules, you're going to pay an awful lot for that. Um, and those, those, those prices have to get passed on to the client uh, and therefore it hits your margins so this is, you know, this is this is a space where we think we provide huge value, uh, not just with the tech because the tech is fantastic. If I say so myself, don't take my word for it though. Check out our <laughs> customer reviews, um, but also in the service element because
0: just on that full disclosure, I actually use um, Coolia, um, your sponsor of. Of Of the show, so full disclosure and um, we'll we'll mention we've obviously mentioned that as well in the in the uh, intro but it's a fa- it is a fantastic tool i I can go along with everything that you've said
1: oh thank you Dave i I tell you what actually so th- th- this is where we really truly differentiate and i I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth here Nathan, i'm just going to ask you some questions um so you've just talked about the tool how have you found the customer support <laughs>
0: Andrew, you won't leave me alone. (laughs) Like, like it's really phenomenal, the time and attention that you give to me and you give to all of your customers, it seems, because you have this real emphasis to make sure that I get the most out of the product and that I'm using the product to its potential. And it's very rare that I come across a company that, that... Is that invested in making sure that, you know, that I get the most out of it? And through that, actually, we've built this amazing relationship because I speak to you all the time, you know? And look, it's the first time that I've done this, the first time that I've. Built databases, and I'm speaking to multiple prospects, and I'm taking them through a sales cycle, and I'm nurturing them. I've talked about it a lot, and I've sold it, but I've never actually done it. So to be taken by the hand, it's truly amazing.
1: Oh, 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 thank you, guys. So that that's that's wonderful to hear. Mm. Um, and it's, I think that's really what differentiates Coolia from the likes of HubSpot, Marketo, Loca, is you know we we actually consider ourselves part of your team. Um, uh, and we will proactively go in there we will bully you. We will set homework, um, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, we yeah. will make sure that you'll get, behind. Yeah. Nathan's there. Yeah. 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 They do all that. Yeah, <laughs> Shaking I'm his behind head. I'm my homework. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be following up on this. <laughs> um, I, I think that's what really makes a difference because agencies, you know, th- things are constantly shifting, constantly mm-hmm. changing, and it's really hard to keep up with that shift. Um, so we step in there, we fill those gaps. So we, we help our agency partners set up their client technology, to, to do the tech implementation. Um, we we work with tools as well. So we, mm. we built our own um, lead generation uh, engine, our prospecting engine, mm. and yeah, Coolia Coolia is a great marketing automation solution, but it's not a prospecting tool. But it does play really nicely with other prospecting tools. You know, mm. if you want to use Hunter.io, if you want to use Prospect.io, anything mm. like that, um, LinkedIn's Sales Navigator, um, you can plug all these tools into Coolia seamlessly, um, really, really easily, and build your own prospecting engine. You build your own Martech stack, and and I think that's the way the industry is going, especially well, for agencies, mid-market. We're moving away from that single-stack solution. Mm. Um, because it's, it's just unweldy, it's expensive, it's not flexible, and we're moving towards best to breed solutions and we really support that with Coolian. You know, that, that has been the ethos from day one. Um, with glue, with a hub in the middle, but we play nicely with all these other solutions to make a, a, a fully customized uh Martech stack for our clients.
0: We will talk about the best of breed versus platform uh, debate in in a moment. But (laughs) I'm I'm quite
1: passionate. (laughs) I
0: I can tell. I can tell. Just before, just to end the segment on marketing automation, tell us kind of where are we with marketing automation right now? I mean, we've got we've mentioned HubSpot, Eloqua, Marketo. They're some targeting the enterprise. Some are targeting mid market. Some are targeting um sort of smes give us just a quick lay of the land as to what you see and where where are we moving
1: um okay so it's it's really interesting we are we're seeing an evolution we're seeing digital marketers now really savvy with marketing automation um but it's it's still not being used anywhere near its full potential um one of, one of our investors uh, gives a, a lovely analogy. Is it an analogy or is it a metaphor? It's one of the two. <laughs> of, of a spanner. You know, marketing automation is a spanner. Spanners a great tool. You know, spanners a fantastic invention. Makes it that fixes it so many problems. If I give you a spanner, Nathan, it does not make you a mechanic.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, and hmm. you know it, it's point. it's the simplest tool to use. But you still need that education and that training to be able to make the most use of it. And I I think we're at the point now where the market is starting to catch up with the tools. It's not quite there yet. It still needs that hand-holding, that best practice, um, that sharing of knowledge that should be the responsibility of the marketing automation provider. Hmm. Um, But we are are getting there. But We're we're seeing a, a market consolidation. What's really interesting over the past few years, you know, we've seen the big old CRMs buying up marketing automation solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Salesforce and Pardot, or Pardot, nobody knows. <laughs> uh, you've got Oracle and Eloqua. Mm. Um, you've got Adobe um, that mm-hmm. now bought Marketo. Mm-hmm. So we all know that CRM works better with marketing automation and I, I think we're going to see more of this um, kind of flow consolidation in the marketplace between crm and marketing automation providers because hmm. they're, they're natural bedfellows
0: hmm. quite quite fascinating Let, let's talk a little bit about best of breed versus the platform debate that you're so passionate about now <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many SaaS platforms out there for marketers um you, you know you look at scott brinker's uh, sort of chart that he brings out every every single year, and it just keeps on uh, expanding. The debate between best of breed versus platform um, um, platforms rage on. How should we be thinking about what is the best for us? Because in some cases, best of breed is the right thing for eight particular agencies or marketers, and in some cases, platforms are. How should we be thinking about those? Those things.
1: OK, so I, I mean, I've clearly got very strong views on this subject. Um, I am not a fan of the single stack solution, specifically not for agencies, because when you're in an agency, you need to be flexible. You need to be able to bolt into the tools your clients are using. You know, if you, if you come into a, a new client and say, you, OK, you've got to shift all your existing technology out and you've got to use this stack because that's what we use, and you're not going to get a foot through that door. Mm. So you need to play nicely with the incumbent solutions, the incumbent technology. Um, that's on an agency side. From you know, enterprise SME market, the rules still apply. I would never get the same person. Well, sorry, I'll give you another metaphor. Building a house, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I would never get one person to build the whole house. I I would get a builder, I would get a plumber, Mm. i would get a plasterer i would get mm. a sparky i would get mm. a chippy mm. when the house is built i would then use somebody else to supply the upholstery the mm. furnishings i'd go to john lewis mm. i wouldn't use the same company that provided the house building uh, <laughs> equipment as, as my utilities mm. because it, uh, you need to go to specialists mm. um, and i i absolutely believe that that is the same way you should be building your martech solution mm. um, The technology exists out there today, the MuleSoft, Zapiers of this world, to connect those uh, disparate technologies, different apps and software seamlessly. I mean, I am a massive fan of Zapier. I love Mm. it. I I think they're an awesome solution and Mm. they've done so much to bring the Martech, that that Scott Brinker, Mm. massive, Mm. super graphic. Mm. That's all connected up now by the likes of Zapier. And there is no excuse not to have everything talking to it, everything else, um, and it does away with our. You know, we, years ago we were talking about, oh well, we, we we need to get rid of our silos because we've got data over here mm-hmm. and data over here and it mm-hmm. doesn't talk. And well, that's that's not an excuse these days because that mm. those data silos do talk, mm. and if they don't, then you're using the wrong technology.
0: Sure quite fascinating and that is, and, that, and that is the end of that discussion
1: um <laughs> okay I will say in defense of single stack hmm. that there are some situations where it can be useful so you know if, if you massive Fair enterprise point. company yeah. and you don't want to be dealing with multiple stakeholders uh, multiple contracts if you if you want one account handler um, for all your technology challenges um, then yeah, a single stack can work um and I, I, I understand that it can do away with some level of complexity. Um, but that said, if, if you've been on the receiving end of a single stack implementation, you know it's not easy. You will be bringing in third party consultants sure. to do it. Yeah. Um, I've never needed a third party consultant to set up a Zapier integration. Five minutes and it's done. Mm. So uh, there, there will be some cases for single stack. It's, it, you know, But I think the market as a whole is moving towards best of breed.
0: Yeah. Yeah and I think it just makes sense to as you said that the house builder analogy getting experts an expert plumber electrician etc um you wouldn't just get a a generalist to do all of those things it's like <laughs> you know if it, it's like the difference between a, a gp and a heart surgeon or a yeah. brain surgeon or whatever same same sort of analogy yeah. so
1: I, I would not want my gp doing brain surgery exactly
0: for me. exactly <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about behavioral economics. Um, I know that you're a huge fan and you've followed the work of Tversky and Kahneman and Ariely and, and Thaler. Um, and behavioral economics essentially is the study of how human beings actually behave in the real world as opposed to this kind of fictionalized, laboratory, sterile environment on a spreadsheet you know so left brain thinkers would have us believe that human beings uh, act and think and behave in one way as opposed to the way that we actually behave in the real world so in that way to what extent should marketers integrate it into their marketers and should all marketers study it
1: hell yes um Every marketer should study behavioral economics. Every marketer should study sociology. Every marketer should study psychology. You know, these, your customers are are ultimately your your success factor. Mm. If you do not understand your customers and what influences them and what affects behavior change, then you should not be doing that job. Okay. So absolutely. And and again, my bugbear is, is people that fall into marketing. Mm. Um, You know, they, 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 they—they're they, people, people. So they—they they, they like people. Mm-hmm. Get into marketing. That's good, but that they like people. That—that that is a great starting place. But better than liking people, you need to understand people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, unfortunately, isn't instinctive. You know, Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational, mm-hmm. sums it up in the title. Great book. Uh, we are irrational. It is a fantastic book, mm-hmm. and if you haven't read it, read it. Mm-hmm. I know you have, Nathan. Um, but people. Are irrational. They don't do what you think they will do. However, that irrationality is very predictable. Hmm. So once you understand the heuristics driving people's behavior, um, you can then influence that behavior.
0: People don't do what they feel, they don't say what they think, and they don't do what they say. That makes our (laughs) that makes our jobs as marketers pretty hard. Uh, So so what you're saying,
1: Nathan, is people are douchebags.
0: (laughs) Essentially, essentially. <laughs> Damn <you people>. um, <laughs> but, but then, but, but all of that, I mean, you know, y- you look at that statement and then you think, well, should we do surveys and should we do uh, focus groups? Because if, people, if we're asking people questions and they're saying, yeah, sure, I would buy this product or I would wear that or I would use that, actually, their behavior belies the truth.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting. I, I can't remember the name of the author, but there's um, a great quote, which is, you know, the lies that we tell ourselves are the most convincing lies of all. Mm. Um, and it is so true. You know, our our self perception, our, you know, our internal cognitions um, are completely different from yeah. how we portray ourselves externally and how others perceive us as well perception is everything yeah perception is the most in marketing perception is absolutely everything yeah. you know it, it's 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 a it's a the anchoring is important the packaging is important yeah annoyingly the packaging is often more, more
0: important, important than, than
1: the, product. the substance yeah it's 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 affected our marketing we, we we've put such a focus on social proof social proof mm. heuristic um reviews uh, we we really push our customers to mm. get the reviews up on G2 Crowd mm. um, because th- that's what people people look at the product. You know, there's, there's a lot there. Um, when actually they look at the use case and they look at real world examples and hear it from people like them, mm. they're getting great you know value out of the tools. They're easy to use. That they you know they're selling more. That they're reselling or upselling more. Mm. Um, getting new leader, thats really valuable. That's really important.
0: You are really right that we we deceive ourselves, but a lot of the time we don't even know that we're deceiving ourselves. Like we think that we're doing the right thing. So, um, so the conversation that so I read um, Rory Sutherland's book Alchemy, and he was he was on the another show recently. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, another, another, another great God. book, but that Absolutely specifically legend, Rory Sutherland. brilliant, brilliant. But specifically applies. Behavioral economics to marketing and makes that link directly. There are a few other authors that have that have done a similar thing, but you sort of um, Roy sutherland's is 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 the best um, that I'm, I'm aware of. But one of the examples that he gives is it's it's probably an evolution. It's from evolutionary biology, right? The the reason why we deceive ourselves, but we don't even know that we're deceiving ourselves. So. He gives an example of a hare that's running away from a fox, and he says when a hare is running away from the fox, the hare will jolt from side to side in this sort of haphazard zigzag way. Now, the hare doesn't know that it's doing that; it's just running, and the the zigzag haphazard way is just the automatic response, the, the way that the hare um, jumps. But biology, evolutionary biology. Uh, sort of infuse that into the hair because if the fox knew how the the hair was going to run it would place itself strategically to be able to catch the hair but because the the hair doesn't even know where it's gonna jump (laughs) the fox has no idea where where the where the hair is gonna be so it actually helps the hair evade the fox, which I thought was fascinating. And we and we do that ourselves a lot. We deceive ourselves. We
1: I'll give you more. an example. I'll, I'll give you a fantastic example. Okay, I've studied this shit. I know this. Okay, I, I, tell know, me. I, I know it through and through. Teach me. I should not be affected because my, my rational brain <laughs> analyzes everything. I should know what I'm doing and I should know better. Sure. But I don't. Okay, The example I've given a couple of times. Uh, if you go up to Luton Airport mm. uh, and you drive in, there, there will be a signpost telling you short stay, medium stay, long stay car park. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I drove there and I went with the missus because I needed to drop her off, but I didn't know how long it was going to take. Cause you know, she had quite a lot of um, luggage. And I didn't know if I needed to help her in with the luggage or not, or what was going on. Hmm. So I saw that signpost. Uh, I was put on the spot and I panicked <laughs> and I, I went, okay, compromise effect. Didn't think compromise effect. I just did it automatically. Instinctively. I'll go for the middle option. Uh... Mid stay. Yeah, I was there for fifteen minutes. Oh, no. Cost me forty quid. Oh my god! Okay. And and then I look back on it and I rationalise. Like, Why yeah. did I do that? Yeah. That that was ridiculous. I, I I was put on the spot. I didn't, you know, uncertainty took over and I fell back on instinctive decision making heuristics. And wow. um, it cost me a lot of money. But we do it, and we can always look back on these things. Sure and go oh yeah that's why i did it and we sure. can we can sit there academically and go well i think you'll find but blah 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 The reason you do this is that but we're all the same yeah we all do these things sure. because we are all rooted in the same evolutionary biology as, as you said there nathan
0: predictably irrational we are all <laughs> predictably... <laughs> i love this stuff one...
1: it really is he needs to
0: give us some commission um i love this stuff one more before we get into our favorite questions before the end of the interview um an inability to change perspectives is equivalent to a loss of intelligence so says alan Kay. tell us about a perspective that you had that you believe strongly at the time only to discover that you were wrong later
1: oh god i'm i'm, I'm wrong at least once a day and i and I, I i revel in that wrongness mm. <laughs> we we constantly mis- make mistakes okay um a big mistake I have made. I, I tell you what, from a business perspective, and, and this is going to sound brutal, but I, I think it's important. If you, you know you're founding your own business, yeah. I was. God, this sounds like one of those interview questions. So, what's your biggest weakness? Oh, well, I'm too perfect.
0: Um, <laughs> I, was, I was too well, nice. It's, it, it's not so much that. It's more of a what? A, what, what? What? What perspective did you have? on the world or the way that things worked in the world and then you got uh, okay. certain information certain information that said actually i should think maybe slightly different about that maybe this is really relevant considering that that today is the uh, is the day of the uh, general election um and that people are, are going to the polls in their in their millions but uh that's yeah, maybe a, a, a good time to ask it's, this question
1: that's a lovely segue so okay i, I grew up incredibly idealistic. Um, And I grew up with the belief that everybody would act in the best interests of society and those around them. I, unfortunately, have learned that that is not the case. Um, Have you you ever heard of a tragedy of the commons?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's, it's a classic kind of um,
0: case. Just explain it. Again, for everyone else. I know what it is, obviously. (laughs) But but it's for everybody else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so let's imagine you a commons, a shared piece of ground, um, and and around that common, you have, let's go back to medieval times, because I think that's where this is rude, you would have five peasants living around that common, and each peasant has a goat, Hmm. and they're happy with that, the goat provides milk, um, everybody has enough milk, and then one of the peasants thinks to himself, well, if I had two goats, I would have twice as much milk, Hmm. and that's fine, because the commons can support six goats, So that peasant gets another goat and everyone's happy for about a week until somebody else looks at him. He's got two goats. He's Mm. got twice as much milk as me. I'm going to get another goat as well. And guess what happens after that? Mm. Third person gets another goat. Fourth person gets goat. And eventually what happens is the commons becomes unsustainable uh, and everyone ends up going without their milk. Mm. Uh, And and unfortunately I've come to realize that that is exactly how pretty much all humans act um, they will tend to put their short-term self interests ahead of the long-term social interests. So, and, and that's that's an instinctive hmm. um, heuristic response. So, what we need to have in place is systems and processes to mitigate against that. Uh, and I, I think you know you cannot just rely on human goodwill to make the world a better place. Sure. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things I've learned is actually you need a bit of stick and the mm. carrot uh, mm. and you can affect behavior change. But humans will revert back to their instinctive
0: selves. Really interesting.
1: And reinforce the, those changes okay. again, again and again. Hence so.
0: government, rule of law, institutions, the things yeah, that will absolutely. Absolutely. Right, put us back in check.
1: I, I used to think that humans were instinctively good and yeah. there were a couple of bad eggs. Now I think humans are instinctively ambivalent. Okay. Um, <laughs> um I don't know but which I'm is still worse. giving it the benefit of the doubt, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, really interesting. Is that Keynes? Is that Keynesian?
1: Uh Keynesian theory. Um I'm gonna sound after it. I actually don't know. Okay, me me neither. There's That's why I asked you. I thought In <laughs> theory. <laughs>
0: Let's let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited. These are to...
1: the ones I have not done any research on. Fine, perfect.
0: So we'll get we'll get perfect answers. There, we'll get the right answers. Great stuff. Tell us what do you let's start easy. What do you do for fun when you're not running Coolia?
1: I okay. I mean, for, for the last couple of weeks i've been driving around in a santa van collecting money for charity <laughs> because it's kind of fun oh
0: charity um, eh yeah in, in inverted yeah, commas
1: god you're, you're such a wonderful <laughs> person are you you're amazing i just want to be like you uh, <laughs> <laughs> i ever think he's such a wanker uh, <laughs> um what do i do for fun i i i do like to read um I love a good book. I've got an amazing, amazing family. I've got two beautiful boys, and they, mm-hmm. they keep me happy, amazed, bemused, and bewildered in, in equal kind of quadrants. Um, I I love campervanging, campervanning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a couple of campervans. Uh, we like to go out um, bumbling around the countryside in those. Um, and I like to... Uh, go out dressed up as freddie mercury on a friday night um <laughs> with my with my friends in order to raise money for november which is what i'm doing this friday you got a
0: fantastic <laughs>
1: moustache yeah. I, I have cultivated an amazing moustache it was supposed to come off at the end of november yeah. yeah i've been dared and sponsored to keep it on for an extra two weeks for this Friday. <laughs> so i'm doing a full-on freddie impersonation in central london and i will be the Oh, oh, you will dressed amongst my friendship group.
0: <laughs> you look, you look fantastic. By the way, you need to send me a photo of what you look like now, so I can add it onto the image for promotion of the podcast. So come
1: on, you saw me dressed as Freddie for that photo.
0: Oh, brilliant! That would be fun. Could you send me that? That yes. would be amazing. I would love to put that on the front of the uh, of the podcast. Uh,
1: let's do it absolutely great
0: idea great idea okay you mentioned books earlier tell us about some of your favorite books what are you reading now what is some of your favorite books that you keep on going back to time and time again behavioral economics marketing whatever
1: ah okay favorite book of all i love aldous huxley okay Uh, aldous huxley amazing author um so if if you don't know of Aldous Huxley, British philosopher, author, um, doubler in exotic uh, pharmaceuticals. Okay. grew <laughs> uh, grew up in Godaming, uh down down near Guildford. Yeah. Um wrote Brave New World, yeah. Um, which is absolute literary I classic. Still
0: haven't read that. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. Read Brave New World. Yeah.
1: Uh, but, and actually, one of our, our future features, Soma, which we're calling Self Optimised Marketing Automation, it, I actually derived that <laughs> name Soma brilliant. from Brave New World. Um, but read, read Brave New World Revisited, because that is an examination of the, the kind of initial tenets that he put forth in Brave New World, and it's really interesting because that's when the, I was to the academic steps forward, and the way he described. Actually, hang on, um, two seconds i'm just i just because it's going to go no, silent i'm just going into my amazon uh, kindle
0: okay
1: um there's some and uh, the he describes marketing in the most eloquent way of any, anywhere i've ever read it i'm just here we go um i can't wait okay so find some common desire some widespread unconscious fear or anxiety think out some way to relate this fear or wish uh or, Rich or fear to the product you have to sell, then build a bridge of verbal or pictorial symbols over which your customer can pass from fact to compensatory dream and from the dream to be illusion that your product when purchased will make that dream come true. So true. We, it, 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 that is marketing summed so up, isn't true. it?
0: Yeah, um, really we, is. We're
1: not, out there, we're not buying Coca-Cola. We're buying family. We're buying belonging yeah. We're Christmas. You know, it's, yeah. it's coming up Christmas now. Coca-Cola sponsor yeah. Christmas. Sure. Um, we, we Buy the dream, we don't buy the product, and that's particularly true in B2C. I have to say, B2B, we're a little yeah, bit more cynical, a little bit more, <laughs> but not much more. Uh, but and yeah, this is
0: 1932,
1: yeah. I mean, he, he is a fantastic, fantastic author, academic. Read as much of him as you can, it really will make your life. I haven't life better. read
0: any. Or, or, or the suxley i haven't read it I'm, okay that's on my reading list right now he, he amazon buy.
1: And co. So sorry guy, he used to hang out with timothy leary and co so he would have some very interesting stories to tell i'm really sure really
0: interesting give us give us one one more what else are you reading um, what else yeah do you like
1: that's my marketing uh fallback if, check out um ben horowitz The hard thing about hard things. things.
0: I couldn't get into that. I know that people love it, and I know that it's lauded as like one of the best entrepreneurial books of all time. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it was from a technology background, and I'm not really. I don't know. Tell me why. Tell me why you love it.
1: Because it's brutal. Okay. It it absolutely describes what it's like being a founder of of a tech startup from day one. It's like eating glass. he, He says. Yeah. He pulls no punches at all. Yeah. And he, you know, he will describe and you'll read it if, if, you, if you are a tech founder and you go, I'm not alone.
0: Okay. That,
1: it's yeah. so reassuring to see that right. everyone else goes. to th- And he's completely honest. You know, he talks about anxiety, depression. Yeah. Stress, yeah. going down to that pit, yeah. uh, you know, curled up in a ball, and yeah. you're doing yeah. it, not wanting yeah. to face the world because you're, you're so scared. But he you said, get up and you do it.
0: He he said he, he for the first time being a CEO, he knows what waking up in a cold sweat feels like. <laughs> <laughs> he'd never known before. Yeah,
1: it always no, it, it, no, it, it always been like a hypothetical like. thing. And the great thing I think he says is no one trains you how to be CEO. Yeah. Nobody, no, nobody comes out of the womb. And yeah, I'm a CEO. No, yeah. it's all it is is a sequence of mistakes yeah. that, if you're a decent CEO, you learn from. Hmm. Um, and that's it. You know, I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like, you know, top world's top CEO performs at about thirty you percent know, because <laughs> they, they, there is no formal qualification. There's no formal training. You're just making it up as you go. Amazing. And. That's the actually, to be fair, you can say that say about everyone. We're all making it up as we go. We're all we're all faking it until we're making it, but hopefully yeah. we're learning as we're, as we're following that journey. Yeah. And you know, imposter syndrome, everybody suffers from it. Everybody. Really interesting. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the world's biggest business or, or you're sitting on a checkout at Tesco's, you know, you will suffer from imposter syndrome. And that's okay. You know, it's it's okay to to think that you know you're going to get found out and you're not as good as you think you are. Everybody feels that, and if you don't feel that, you're probably a sociopath. Love so it. so it's it. actually quite reassuring to have imposter syndrome.
0: Brilliant. Uh, the Brave New World and the Hard Thing About Hard Things both added to my. Well, I'm going to go back to the, the Hard Thing About Hard Things because I don't think I appreciated it, it the first it, time. Right. Give it another. Aldous yeah. Huxley. And Brave New World is
1: you know it's such a easy reading book but it's yes. got so much insight uh, okay. and it's really it's like you say i, I wouldn't t- tell you when it was written but you, you said 1930 something mm. it's so relevant today mm. so relevant with this, this era of fake news mm. and propaganda that we're seeing in politics mm-hmm. and day-to-day mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. Uh, social influence the, the dulling deliberate the deliberate dulling of the senses mm-hmm. uh, in order to go through life it's 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 so relevant and it's mm. it's a little bit scary how on the pulse he was hmm. uh, so long ago
0: really interesting amazon prime or netflix
1: uh, amazon prime I, I i i started with netflix yeah. i got i had this really annoying thing i got uh, i was one of the first uh, early adopter here uh, one of the first on netflix when it came out uh, and i got it for something like seven pound a month for the whole family mm-hmm. which is brilliant and then my card expired
0: oh no Okay.
1: And, and they, I was like, okay, well, I put my new card in. And as soon as I tried to put my new card details in, because my subscription had officially oh, no. stopped, they said, sorry, we're going to have to start it up as a new subscription. And they tried to charge me, like, I would say a small fortune, but it wasn't, it was probably like £2 more. But out, just out of principle, I said, no. <laughs> <And> I <went laughs> over <to Amazon> Prime.
0: <laughs> so because of that, you're not subscribing to Prime because it's <laughs> yeah, £2 I'm more expensive. i a
1: full person for £2.
0: <laughs> Fairly reasonable. That's uh, uh, do Yeah. Yeah, just deprive the whole family of Netflix because you don't want to pay two pounds. Yeah, uh, yeah, what, what are you watching on Amazon on Amazon Prime? Um,
1: oh God, okay, dirty, uh, dirty secret. I love Bob's Burgers.
0: Bob's Burgers, what's that?
1: Bob's Burgers, it's it's a cartoon. I love I love cartoons. I love to occasionally just like separate myself from reality. How old are you
0: again? You you're uh, you're not <laughs> you're not eight years old. eight years old again. No it's, no, it's quite adult. Oh, it's an adult <laughs> cartoon. Okay,
1: it's kind of like more aligned with Simpsons, I'd say than oh, anything is it? else.
0: Right. Um, what's it called? It is so? hilarious.
1: Uh, Bob's Burgers. Bob's
0: Burgers. Okay.
1: It's it's the same guy. Um, something Johnson. But if you ever watched Archer which is another animated series that's very grown up. And okay. I wouldn't recommend watching that with okay. the kids. Right. Um, it's, it's the same guy that does the voices. Um, so one, one of them is a kind of a secret agent 007 spoof. Yep. And the other is a guy who runs a burger bar. <laughs> <laughs> and he's it, the same guy. <laughs> but I highly recommend it. I'm also
0: okay. I'm, Interesting. Okay.
1: a fan of Philip Pullman. So the fact that on BBC they're now doing his, his, his dark... Uh, yep. um, I forgot what it's called, but you know the uh, ah, I want to say Dark Adventures, but it's not the Dark. is Dark Adventures. Um, but anyway, it's the Philip Pullman one on BBC. That's great.
0: Is it on at the moment, or
1: it's it's on every Sunday evening. Okay. His Dark Materials. That's it. I just. Remembered. His Dark Materials. But it's it's a trilogy, so I actually got the books downstairs. My brother. Brought them from the Folio Society for my, for my little one, for my two year old. Um,
0: ah, he did book of dust. Yet.
1: <laughs> But absolutely amazing. So it's the Amber Spy glass, the something knife, subtle knife, and the, the Golden
0: Northern Compass.
1: And the Golden Compass, yeah. Yeah,
0: really interesting. Okay, final couple of questions. Um, what advice would you give to a millennial or young person that comes to you and says, Andrew, I want to start a tech company? <laughs>
1: I would say absolutely go for it um, but just stay the hell away from marketing automation because <laughs> <hard. laughs> No on on a serious note I would say take a problem find a problem and then create an elegant simple solution to solve that problem hmm. okay that you know that is the, the most critical thing don't go doing what I did and say let's do Fix every problem mm. if one, with one solution. Mm. Um, take something simple. Um, don't be. I, we've, we've developed this concept. Or we developed this concept at the early stages of Coolia, uh, where you've got MVP, uh, which is minimally viable product. Mm-hmm. We have MBP, or we had MBP, which is mm-hmm. broken product. Mm. <laughs> and What that is. Uh, sorry, my phone's just going off. There um, is take something that works well enough to solve the problem and offer value to the client. It doesn't okay. have to be perfect. It shouldn't be perfect. Should be perfect. Yeah. perfect is enemy of It doesn't of the good. exist. It doesn't perfect. exist. In software, there's no such thing as perfect. Yeah. Um, but make it good. Make it good enough that mm. people are willing to pay something for it. Mm. And then once you've got that, build on it. So we, we, we call that minimal broken product. Mm-hmm. Um, if a customer doesn't know it's broken, mm-hmm. um, that's okay. You know, it, Again, it doesn't need to be perfect but fix it and improve it and so that the customer has a continuously great experience and that every time they go back to the product, it's better.
0: Really interesting. Really interesting. And Andrew, my final question, what do you know about marketing automation today that you wish you knew when you, started, when you first started Coolia?
1: I'm going to go back to my spanner analogy. I thought... At that point, you can make marketing automation so easy when I first launched it that I could give it to somebody who has never used marketing automation, who mm-hmm. has no experience in marketing, mm-hmm. and they can pick up and run with it. I've come to the conclusion that even if someone can pick up and run with marketing automation, they still need that marketing background mm-hmm. in order to understand the value of it, to understand the value of segmentation, targeting, personalized communications you need to have a marketing background to, to know the value of that and be able to make the most out of marketing automation. Hmm. So we, we, we've changed, you know, we've evolved our market. We started off saying we're going to be targeting one man bands, uh, small businesses. We realized that that is not the future for marketing automation. Certainly hmm. not yet. Um, so we've moved up the bands. You know, we've, we've we've targeted targeting SMEs now, medium-sized businesses and agencies, and we're seeing the huge value they're derived from, from marketing automation because they have marketers. Hmm. Give give marketing automation to a marketer, hmm. amazing things happen happen. Give a spanner to a mechanic, he'll get your car fixed.
0: Sure, really good point, Andrew. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Nathan it's been an absolute pleasure really man? enjoyed it
0: really enjoyed it we have been speaking with Andrew Nicholson he is currently the co-founder of Coolia.ma if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 39 such conversations we've had with world class sales and marketing leaders thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com head over to iTunes and give us a review follow me on Twitter at Nathan Annie Barber We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. EOS Worldwide is running their first EOS launch event in London on the 2nd of April at the Dorchester. You will learn a simple way of operating a company that's helping thousands of entrepreneurs and leadership teams around the world get a grip on their business. Mike Payton, the author of Get a Grip, the fable of the phenomenally successful book, Traction, was a recent guest on the podcast. And he had one of the most downloaded episodes so far. So make sure you get your tickets soon. To get your tickets, go to eos.eventbrite.com. The link is also in the description. That's eos.eventbrite.com.